This is Footy Time with Johnny Raff. Welcome. It's a Sunday night, the 8th of May, 2022. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And I hope all your mums had a great day today because they definitely deserve it. But looking at the round of footy, well, a couple of upsets this week. Uh, There is still one game going. That's the Blues and the Crows, and the Blues look fairly in control there. But let's attempt to pick the bones out of what has been round eight. So there's been two key upsets in this round, and I'm just having a bit of a think of which one was the bigger upset out of the Gold Coast Suns over the Sydney Swans on Saturday and the Bombers over the Hawks on Saturday night. Um, Both two completely different games, but... I think I have to go. I've got to give the edge to the Hawks, I think, on this one. I watched this game up until about three-quarter time, and I thought that they were relatively in control. They were playing a nice brand of footy, um, playing on at most opportunities. The Bombers looked a bit rattled. They couldn't hit easy targets. They weren't getting enough. You know, they weren't creating enough chances, I guess, for guys like Peter Wright and there are other forwards, but uh, yeah, honestly, it, sometimes a game just goes in a certain trend and you can sort of tell which team has the upper hand and just you leave that game, you don't see the end and you just, more often than not, the team you thought was going to win goes on with the job. But I was pretty stunned when I saw later, and I ended up watching this back, but I saw that the Hawks were completely overrun in this last quarter and I'm still not. Totally sure how it happened. Ben Rutten had said before the game that he wanted his team to play with a lot more dare, take the game on, run into the space. And in this last quarter, that's exactly what happened. It looked like the Hawks were getting pretty tired. They will run off their feet. And that seemed to coincide with the Bombers taking the game on, getting more run and carry, and getting it into the hands of the players that they needed to get it to. And... Huge performances from some of these players. Uh, Ben Hobbs took his game to another level. Nick Martin, who I'm just starting to love watching play more and more each week. He's really looking like the biggest surprise packet of the year so far. He had himself 22 possessions and two goals. Uh, Redman, I thought, was fantastic. Mason Redman, 27 touches. He's sort of threatened to be the next sort of rebounding defender, I guess, for the Bombers. And he was fantastic all night. With the, He really provided a lot of good rebound. He's not bad in close as well, I think. Um, yeah, he's got good hands. Maybe suspect disposal, but yeah, I thought he played a really good game. And Peter Wright himself, who I mentioned before, finished the game with six goals and eight marks. So as a Bomber fan, you'd be very, very, very pleased with that performance. Uh, you know, down and out, three-quarter time. You need to see a response. And I know we gave... We gave them a lot of criticism a few weeks ago against the Dockers when they sort of turned in a very, uh, I guess, lacklustre effort with their pressure and that, but they were sensational in this last quarter. And this is the kind of thing that you can sort of take to ne- the next game and game's coming. You you sort of, I don't know, get a, not a photocopy, but just, a, you know, embed this moment into your memory and show that when things aren't working against you, you can rally as a team and work it work your backside off and get back into a game. 
because uh, the Hawks, as far as I was concerned, they definitely had the ascendancy going into three-quarter time. Jack Gunston, I reckon if he kicked that set shot that, jeez, he would have said 90% chance he'd, he'd kick. Uh, I think they would have gone up by about three or four goals. So, yeah, the uh, the Hawks really left to lament those chances. They play the Tigers next Saturday, and that's going to be a very, very tough game. Um, I actually, before this week, uh, seeing the way the Hawks performed against Melbourne, I, I really thought that they were maybe a, an outside chance for the eight. Uh, and I still think that they can get this back on track, but that's a big game, and yeah, they're really, really going to have to bring their best and get onto the winners list. We move on to the SCG yesterday, where the Swans were stunned by the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, this is a happy hunting ground for Gold Coast. They've actually won on this ground in uh, two of their last three attempts, and this is definitely a great win for the footy club and just relieves a little bit of pressure on Stuart G. Three things jumped out at me in this game. I think some of these players that I'm about to mention have actually had really good seasons. They did not feature in my All-Australian team so far last week. But I think we've got to pay a little bit of tribute to them because they deserve it and they're probably not far off the players I did have in that team. And the first one is Sam Collins. Um, absolutely sensational job on Lance Franklin. He kept the great man to one goal, 11 disposals, and the four marks. Um, yeah, if you see Lance Franklin's stats next to his name on the stat sheet, you'd be very happy with that performance. So, well done, Collins. I think he's been very consistent. Very, very consistent. Um, I also thought that uh, <laughs> he's a forgotten man, actually. Um, Jared Witts. He just goes about his business. You know, he doesn't get talked about much because he's obviously Gold Coast. But, yeah, a, a fantastic game in the ruck, I thought. Um, Laddams got on top early. But, uh, you know, Witts is one of those, I like to call him a, a four-quarter ruckman. Uh, I think Wits is just one of those toilers who doesn't do anything spectacular, but he's always hanging in there for four quarters. You've really got to be mindful of him. It's sort of a little bit like what Shane Mumford was like. Um, yeah, I just thought he really nullified Laddams in the end. And yeah, more than convincing performance. He had 19 disposals, 37 hitouts, seven clearances. <laughs> I think that if you see a Ruckman with those kinds of numbers... Yeah, you reckon they played a pretty good game. Ainsworth, Rankin, Holman, thought they all had very good games. Uh, especially Ainsworth, actually. He had 17 touches and a goal. Very good pressure inside 50. I think he's going about his business very nicely. And yeah, just uh, he's a very hard guy to keep under control. Now for some of the not so good. I've got a few question marks over Sydney's back line at the moment. I think that... Um, and I don't, I love this guy a lot, but I think Dane Rampey is looking a little bit slow at the moment. He's getting goals kicked on him. Um, yeah, he's such a great warrior, but I just, I'm not sure if he's the right guy to be taking on the best defender every week. You look at that back line, Tom McCartan is a gun. Paddy McCartan's been serviceable. Um, Lloyd gets a lot of it. Uh, Braden Campbell, off our back. Nick Blakey isn't. Oh, just a stud. Really hurts you with his disposal. He's so good that he's being sat on at the moment each week. But I just 
at the moment when I see Rampy, I just see he just seems to be a little bit off reaction time. And I don't know. Look, I, I hope that this is just an off few weeks because I really like him. But yeah, I just got my question marks in that area if Sydney are going to be a top four contender this year. I think you've got to have a very strong back six. And if there is a chink in the armour, well, it's probably going to get found out right now. So yeah, that's my two cents there on the Swans defence at the moment. <laughs> Um, but for the winners, well, I just, I look at Jack Lacocious at the moment and he just seems a bit lost to me. Um, there's been some players in history that come into the league, very highly touted, high draft picks, and they just can't seem to settle in a position. Not that they have to. There's definitely a lot of great players that have been drafted in high positions in the draft that, uh, just end up being utilities, and they're great at that. But this isn't that case. Um, like I remember when Jack Watts first started, it was you thought he was coming into the league as a as a nice leading full forward type, and he was there for the start. Then they moved him back to sort of get him behind the ball and you know teach him a bit about seeing it from that point of view. Then he would end up on a wing. He'd end up half forward. He'd go back to the back line. He'd be up forward again. And then after a while, you actually didn't know what his thing was. You didn't know what position he even played. Um, so, so this isn't a terrible thing, but I think for a young player, when you're trying to develop them and get their confidence up, a lot of this chopping and changing, I, I just don't know how it helps. But I'm also not having a shot at the Gold Coast coaching staff here because they've tried. They've tried him in a lot of positions, a few weeks on a wing, um, he went back to his customary, well, I guess if it is customary, but he went back into the uh, forward line this week because his start was started there. Um, you sort of wonder if he has the tank to play on the wing. Um, I don't really sort of buy into that just yet. I think you can definitely build a tank and be good enough to make that position yours, but it's not just about that. It's also about positional training. It's about um, knowing where to be positionally when the ball's in transition and you're without the ball and defending. Uh, when the ball's in flight, you've you got, you got to sort of cover a few bases on the wing. And, and it's not all just about sort of meters gained and things like that. You've got to be very, I think at the moment, you've got to be very adept defensively as well. So I'm not saying that Jack isn't that, but I just don't know where his position is right now. And he kicked... He did kick a goal, yeah. He had six possessions, and he did get subbed off. So I don't want to sound way too harsh on him. But it hasn't just been this week. I just don't know where he fits in this team right now, even when they look good like they did on Saturday. So I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Jack Lacocious. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And hopefully he can nail down a position and just get some good repetitive reinforcement. And, yeah, even if it is just... Doing one thing and doing it well. That's, I think, what the Suns need at the moment. But only time will tell. On Friday night, we saw a game at Adelaide Oval where it was really a tale of two teams exactly where they are right now. On one hand, you have the Port Adelaide Power, who, well, they lost their first five games of the season, uh, but have found some form as of late and were really looking to claim another scalp in their journey back. 
up the ladder. But on the other hand, you had the Western Bulldogs who, again, just can't seem to find that consistency and string a few good performances together. Um, yeah, back to Port for a second. You know, three weeks ago they had been written off. Season was on the brink. And it's just another reminder that things can turn around pretty quickly in this game. Uh, they pulled off a fantastic victory over the Dogs. They've got North Melbourne to come next week. So they're one game out of the eight. So this is kind of why I find it stupid to write off teams in the first five games of the season because you kind of forget that really the points totals of each side are not really that far apart yet. There's still quite a small margin between the top and the bottom team, really. So you can definitely make up ground in this season early on. But, yeah, this game, very, very interesting. Uh, the Dogs, well, they also now sit 3-5, and five, live with Port Adelaide. But I just can't help but wonder if things are looking a tiny bit bleaker for the Dogs at the moment. They're building up their injuries. They were missing their captain, Marcus Bontempelli, this week. And they've got a forward line that is really struggling to kick goals outside of Aaron Norton, of course. But they're just... Yeah, there's just something not quite right about the dogs at this minute. HB Myers on Mongrel Punt, uh, I quote HB a lot, and with good reason, because he's very good. Um, but yeah, HB talked about impact in this game. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, this is the kind of game where disposal efficiency, I think, was going to really come to the fore, because you've got two teams here that have good talent across the board and good uses of the footy but um it made me think on the port side of the ball i mean you had travis spoke who was probably best on ground more of an amazing player travis spoke is 30 possessions one goal you had connor rosie who is moved to the midfield it's been a very very good uh, decision by ken Inkley. i think it's paying dividends and he uses the ball so well he's got a great kick Ollie Wands chipped in. I thought Todd Marshall played a good game. I mean, his stats probably wouldn't jump out at you, but uh, he competed very well in the air, I thought, and he, he definitely stood out. Uh, he took some really good marks at important times in the game just to kind of settle things, just, you know, stop any potential Bulldogs comeback. Uh, you know, a mark like that can sometimes be worth a goal. He took those two very well. And on to the Bulldogs side, because I've been a little bit critical of the Bulldogs this year, but I think you have to. You have to. The first thing I've noticed is that this time last year, we looked at that Bulldogs midfield and we thought, what a midfield this is. This could be one of the greatest midfield mixes ever assembled at a footy club. And you know, we're talking about Marcus Montempelli's numbers, Jack McRae's numbers, Josh Dunkley's numbers, Adam Trelaw's numbers, Tom Liberatore's numbers. I could go on and on and Bailey Smith's numbers. I mean, this was the measuring stick for an AFL midfield that batted really deep. And now, I'm not saying they're worse or anything, but now, looking at them, they're just aren't doing a lot with the ball at the moment. Like they're getting, They're still getting a lot of positions, but they're not... I guess, hurting you by foot the way they were. Um, I'm just looking at some of these numbers. 
Uh, Josh Dunkley had 14 touches for the game. He was tagged by William Drew, who got, who put in an excellent shift, it has to be said. And I don't think Dunkley was enjoying having a, a hard tag like that. He was giving him hell at pretty much every stoppage. Uh, Tom Liberatore, 24 touches. Uh, not too bad. It's a good shift. Uh, he get 10 clearances, three inside 50s. Uh, so we can't really fault Tom there. Jack McRae, 32 touches, five inside 50s and six score involvements. Sounds good on paper, but it's actually down on his 2022 averages so far. So I don't know. Maybe they were relying on Jack McRae to get his 35 to 40 possessions to have a real impact. I don't know. Um, missing Bontepelli, who really straightens them up in that midfield. I think when there's times that you just want someone to win the ball out of the middle and just get it forward, long and direct, route one style, Marcus Bontepelli is usually the one to do that. He just seems to be good at um, seeing up the ground when he's got the ball in hand and kicking long to a favourable matchup. Uh, he will spot out a good one-on-one up ahead and he's just... He's the best midfielder that they have in doing that, I think, and they're really missing that. I know it's not just one player, but they are really missing his ability to just accelerate the game and and get things moving. One other thing I noticed from that game was how short they were down back. Um, they lost Tim O'Brien uh, at one point, and all of a sudden, they were left with Hayden Crozier and Ed Richards as their key post backs. And, yeah, I just don't know what <laughs> how they let that happen. I mean, yeah, they got Zane Cordy up forward. Maybe they could have swung him back. I, I don't know. But I just, I just found it strange that they ended up in that situation where those two had to play there when um, really all that happened was they lost Tim O'Brien. Uh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that wasn't the main source of their problems. They had a lot of problems on the night, the dogs. Uh, yeah, it couldn't really get anything going when it came to their delivery into the 50. Uh, yeah, they just didn't look very threatening. They just didn't look very threatening at all. Uh, obviously, they were missing Alex Keith as well when we talk about their defensive uh, troubles. He's a very important player for them, really. Um, yeah, he just... He definitely elevates that backline when he's there. It's um, he's a bit of a beacon actually. Just, yeah, he takes a nice relieving mark when it's needed. Uh, yeah, good player. Uh, but they really they needed more. They needed more. There's just sometimes there's a few serious deficiencies in some areas for the dogs, and I just think that a couple of injuries can really hurt this team in those areas. But yeah. I've also got to bring up something, and it's the dreaded uh, stat that no one really wants to hear about if you're a Bulldogs fan, but it's the question that gets asked. Is there sometimes residual trauma from a big defeat in a grand final? Now, at the start of the year, even last year after it happened, I didn't think this would have a massive impact on the Bulldogs. I thought that that was kind of a little bit of an outlier. They were in that game right up until you could say three-quarter time, but they were in that game. They were 19 points up in what wasn't a very high-scoring game. Halfway through that third quarter, uh, they were in it. They were right in it. And I didn't actually see that as a massive 
well, I, I, it was absolutely a blowout, but I didn't see it as a blowout um, for where, for the where the Bulldogs were concerned. That they could definitely take enough out of that and go again in 2022 uh, with uh, some unfinished business and a score to settle. But it's starting to look a little bit like the uh, the narrative that people suggest, and that's very sad. But if let's look at this. Let's look at the statistic. This was off AFL.com.au. Fallout from grand final blowouts. So uh, I'm not going to read all of these out, but I'm going to pick out the ones that look the most interesting, I guess. So 2007, the Power lose to Geelong by 119 points. In 2008, they finished 13th. Uh, in 2003, Collingwood lose to Geelong, sorry, to Geelong to Brisbane by 50 points. Next year, they finished 13th. Way back in 2000, Melbourne lose to the Dons by 60 points. Finish 11th in 2001. 2015, Eagles lose to the Hawks by 46 points. Next year, they did make the finals, but maybe took a little bit of time to get going again. Um, Brisbane lose to Port in the grand final of 2004 by 40 points. Next year, they finish 11th. The best one, the best example is the 2019 Giants losing the grand final to Richmond by 89 points and finishing 10th in 2020. Uh, I saw this one coming. I just uh, remembered. Uh, I don't. I'm not trying to pump the tires or anything, but I remember a lot of friends of mine thought GWS were going to be back in 2020 uh, with a bang, and I, I didn't pick them to finish top four. I just thought this is a that was a mauling, and you don't get past those quickly. Obviously, it's not just what happens on Grand Final day, but uh, Kane Corns has said this story a few times in the last few weeks when the Power lost that. Oh, seven grand final by 119 points. It set them back for years. And you get to that stage, you get to that last day in September, you're in the grand final parade, it's like the best time of your life. Then you get beaten like that and you realise that, you know, we're miles off. We're miles off what we need to win a flag. These are bloody hard to win. And then you're sort of going through everything again to just to get back there. So you go through the long preseason again. You go through the trials and tribulations of the next season. You might lose one game and it might be, uh, you know, for instance, that game that the Dogs lost against the Crows where they really should have won that. They lose something like that and everyone all of a sudden is, you know, um, it's panic stations. You know, the fans, it's becoming real anxious because... All you want to do is get back there. You've got a score to settle. You want to get back there and it, it can just implode. Well, I don't know if that's happening with the Bulldogs right now, but it, it's starting to look like it. Is this just following that trend where there's post-grand final trauma? The Dogs sit in 10th position now after eight rounds and by no means is over. I'm absolutely not ruling them out at all. Three and five, if there's a team that can reel it back and get back in the eight. It's definitely the dogs, but I think top four is going to be a big stretch now for sure. And, you know, looking at some of their games coming up, uh, they've got Collingwood this Friday night, you know, Collingwood, who's just proving to be a very hard team to play against at the moment, whether you beat them or not, they give you something that is hard to deal with. The week after that, they will face the Suns at Mars Stadium. It should be winnable, but maybe the Suns, by then, like they just had a great win over the Swans. They might be stringing some form together. And the following week, they have West Coast at Optus. So there's two winnable games there, but the pressure is well and truly on the Bulldogs right now. They have to win those. They have to win the next three, really. If they want any chance 
any chance whatsoever of finishing this season in a in a contending position again. They have to just put away four points in each of the next three games. Uh, I don't have a ladder predictor with me right now, but if they did do something like that, they'd be right back in the contention. And we would be talking about them the way we're talking about Port right now. So it's tense time for the dogs right now. One of the biggest cop-outs in AFL footy right now is key defenders giving too much leg rope to key forwards and marquee key forwards. You know, they're playing a zone defense. Uh, it's, you know, they were meant to hand over. They're not, they just look like they're guarding grass while the key forward just runs around in space, acres of space, and takes a plethora of marks and, yeah, has his day. So, yeah, unfortunately, Darcy Moore's in the gun right now. Now, I'm a big fan of Darcy Moore, all Australian defender. Uh, very good leader, reads the ball beautifully. One of the best readers of any key defenders in the comp. But the the down the ground footage against Richmond is quite damning against him. On the weekend, you got Tom Lynch who's just running hot at the moment. Seven goals against the West Coast last week. He kicked six this week. So what's that? Thirteen in two weeks. I just don't know how players get away with this. I know it's a hard job for a defender these days, but you've got to be accountable even when you're playing in a zone at some point. You can't just be guarding grass and uh, when things go wrong, just just blaming the zone and saying, oh, well, that, that was the zone breaking down. Yeah, I did my job. I was in my area of turf. Um, yeah, it's not my fault. It's just, it's just a cop-out. It's a real cop-out. Um, at some point, you've got to impact the contest. You've got to press that contest and and um, just <laughs> make a play. Like, the zone backline is great when it works well. But for a zone defense to work, you need to work. You need to work, and you've got to be accountable. If you see the danger, the, da- the ball is – if the ball is over there, two meters away from you, then that's the danger, and you've got to get to there. You can't just be running around – I know that it's not about man or man, but – you can't be seen to be running around without a man and being miles off him, just giving him so much space to operate in. That's not what a zone back one's for. I'm sorry. And Darcy Moore, he's just signed a big contract. Like I said, I'm a big fan. He deserves that contract too. But I think to play as a, a, a player on that kind of contract, you've got to be a cannibal. I mean, there's plenty of loose defenders out there, that, plenty of floaters, but... Uh, you know, you look at Jake Lever, for example, he works so well because he's got Stephen May next to him who's able to handle the big monsters and, yeah, he can just do his thing. I mean, Darcy Moore is the key component of this back line and they need him to be more than just a, a loose floater who gives a lot of leg rope away. So, yeah, look, I'd be looking to see a bit more from him in the coming weeks in that area. With the AFL's insistence for staggered fixturing and having games stand on their own, as well as the latest TV rights deal that has the potential to change the media landscape in the game. It has got me thinking about the AFL experience and how we consume AFL media. To be clear what I'm talking about when it comes to the staggered fixturing, I'm talking about when there's a day, say Saturday for instance, where there's a game at 1.10 or 2.10 
Then there might be one at 4.35. Then there might be one between 3 and 5 interstate. And then the, no- the two night games. Uh, generally, this works pretty well. And you know, it, it's, a, I guess, for the traditionals, you don't get a lot of uh, the old-fashioned 2 10 p.m. games. But it's generally okay. Now, to the people older than about 20 years old, I'm going to be talking to you for a second. Remember when you went to the footy, whether it was on a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, whatever. Remember when you left the ground after a game, whether you'd won or lost, and uh, whether you were driving in the car on the way home with the radio on, or catching the tram with the transistor radio and the earphones in your ears, or whatever cool device you had back then. Do you remember listening to the post-game talkback on radio? No one ever talks about this, I find, anymore. And it seems to be dead. You turn on the radio in the car on the way home and every radio station is already off to the next game. It's already started. Uh, you've got, yeah, pretty much every station is covering a different game and that's that's just the way it is. So you get next to no coverage on the game that you just watched at all unless you, I don't know, quickly switch on KO or something and get the Fox footy wrap up uh, on TV, but that's kind of counterproductive if you're you know, not that way inclined. My question is, with the TV rights coming into play very soon, what are the chances that clubs might take a situation like this into their own hands? Um, I say this because over in the States, in the US, you have dedicated radio stations for all the sports teams. They've been doing that for years. Uh, but yeah, that happens quite a lot. Uh, I'm a big Liverpool fan in the English Premier League, and uh, they've got a very good setup with LFC TV. They don't show the games, but they have a very good pre-game and post-game live coverage, where there's you know experts who discuss the game, analyze it, and uh, yeah, just have a discussion. I wonder how many people out there um, think like I do in that there is a slight void for this whether it's pre-game or post-game. I mean, pre-game you still got to kind of get, but you don't seem to get post-game at all anymore. Um, but I wonder if there is some, if there's someone out there who might be thinking of something like this and what could be done in this area, whether it's part of the new rights deal or I don't know what the radio rights deals are like at the moment, but um, whether there is a void here that could be filled. Uh, because there just doesn't seem to be an outlet for footy fans to decompress after a game and, Hear the analysis. And, 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 you know, back back in that day, it was kind of like you'd have the analysis, you'd have everyone, all the experts do their votes from the game, you'd have caller talkback, and, you'd, yeah, it was talkback radio, you'd have, um, yeah, people coming on and, and giving their opinions of the game. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no forum for this anymore, and it's just a bit sad, I think, uh, I just remember the days when you'd leave a game and you wanted to hear what they said about the game if you'd won. You wanted to hear who they thought was good and, you know, sort of affirm your opinion on what you thought. Or if you're lost, you wanted to hear, I guess, a little bit of an explanation and uh, what could have been done better. You'd also hear the the coaches' presses. You'd hear interviews with, with players. You don't get anything like that, I find, on radio you might do it on Friday night. It's been a while since I've listened to the radio on a Friday night. Uh, after, well, I guess, 
have only been to one Friday night game this year. But um, yeah, I just wonder what is there an opportunity there for the clubs or or another media network to to step in and and do something like this because it's just I don't know it's a little bit sterile I think when you finish a game and it, you just go straight to the next one you don't get to hear anything uh, if if you wanted to hear some kind of media is pretty much nothing so yeah that's just uh. That's just my rant for the week, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with this new TV deal coming up. Uh, Gil and co, I think Travis Old's over there as well in the States. Uh, yeah, a lot to play out in that situation. But I think it's going to shape the media landscape for this sport and this code uh, for, yeah, a very long time. I think it's going to be the biggest the biggest deal yet. Whether they go with some of these new streaming services or whether they just go back to the the old the usual suspects, the Murdochs, the um, Stokeses, yeah, there's a lot to play out. Just the two games on Mother's Day today uh, with Melbourne and St Kilda and Carlton in Adelaide. Carlton easily taking care of the Crows with Charlie Kerner kicking six goals and getting 21 possessions. That's a very, very good performance. Uh, yeah, something that's uh, reminiscent of the Wayne Carey days, I guess. Getting high possessions up at half forward, but also nailing some goals. Uh, very good work from Charlie Kerner. He's having a good season. Uh, but yeah, look, going to the MCG and the blockbuster game, or well, the game that I expected to be a very, very good, uh, well, top of the table clash never quite eventuated and uh, it it's very easy for me to say this being a Melbourne fan but I mean what's it gonna take to beat Melbourne at the moment uh there's still a few players out of this team at the moment and the system just keeps coming up trumps you had St Kilda four sorry five and two coming into this game and they were kind of just brushed aside by the D's. It was, yeah, it's a sign of a very, very good football team. Uh, defensive masterclass in the end. Yes, and Kilda slumping to back-to-back defeats, but first five goals of the match were the Demons, and yeah, the Saints definitely had their moments and pushed them, but yeah, it was, they were never really headed. The Ds remind me of a team that just, they they have identified your best weapons they're going to take away those best weapons and if you want to beat them you need to beat them with your less preferred weapon that's something that i feel like melbourne does this week it was the two top 20 goal scorers in the league in 2022 max king who sits eighth and jack higgins who sits 18th with 21 and 16 goals respectively Managing just the three goals between them. And to be fair, uh, they were all from free kicks. And some might say contentious free kicks. Although I think one of Kings was a mark that some might have thought was touched. But that's that's not an accident. That's, that's no coincidence. You've got two forwards there that have been very dangerous. And Melbourne just completely shut them down. Uh, a lot of work there from guys like Stephen May and Jaden Hunter, I thought, actually played a, a good game 
uh, sort of marking Higgins early. This is the sign. This is just the sign of a very, very good football team. That they, they got these gears, and no matter how good you think a team's travelling, and I think the Saints are travelling very well, and I still think the Saints uh, will learn from this experience, and they can still push on in twenty twenty two. Absolutely, push on for for that top four position as well. But it's just a little bit of a uh, back in your box kind of moment. Like you, you think you're doing well. And nothing's as good as it seems, but nothing's as bad as it seems. And I think that's the situation St Kilda found themselves in today. They came up against a Melbourne team that is just so well drilled, knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, the first half, they really just blew them off the park. The second half, I think Melbourne went into cruise control for a bit. Uh, they were actually kind of lackluster in that third quarter, but, you know, they're doing enough to get the job done. They speed up the game when they want to. They slow it down. They go methodical when they when they want to. Everything seems like it's... Uh, it seems like it's just random, but I don't think I'm starting to think that it's not. I feel like there's a lot of deliberate uh, action in the game plan of Melbourne. A few weeks ago, I thought that Brad Hill had now found his permanent position as a, I guess a a wing slash half forward flanker. I thought, especially half forward, I thought his his best ability to influence a contest was speed off the wing, I guess, and pushing up and and getting forward, kicking some goals, and also getting some scoring involvements. I think that I might have been a tiny bit hasty on that. I do think that's still a great position for him moving forward. But with his confidence up a little bit now, he's definitely somebody who can make an impact occasionally with a good stint at the halfback as well. I thought he played a decent game today. He just had a license to run, carry, kick some, you know, go for some big kicks through the middle. He didn't hit all of them. But it gave them something. When they really needed it, they'd get that ball off half back, and he was able to just carry them forward, accelerate. Uh, and that was kind of what helped helped open up the corridor uh, for the Saints. And uh, it got the guys like King and Membry into the game a lot more, which was, uh, yeah, exactly what they needed. But, um, yeah, to challenge Melbourne, you've got to do a few things right. Uh, it's. I don't think any team is going to go up against Melbourne playing their perfect game plan, even if it's gotten them to where it's gotten them to, like a St Kilda or like a... I think that against Melbourne, you've got to do a few things a little bit differently as well. You've got to do things like what Hawthorne did last week with a, a tag on Ed Langton, or you've got to uh, have some players just slightly modifying their role a little bit. I look at someone like Jack Higgins, and I think, well, Jack, Know you love a goal. Know you love kicking a sausage, as he said, I think, a few years back. You know, maybe this game is is a game where you can't just expect that ball to come flying over the back and running into an open goal. You might actually have to put some forward pressure on as well. And I'm not saying he's a bad forward pressure um, kind of guy, but I think it's one of those games where you may have to sacrifice your game a little bit and really put in that work, especially with someone like Dan Butler now who's gone down injured. I don't know exactly what he has, but that's a key loss because he provides some great pressure and has been a big reason why they've been uh, on the rise this year. Uh, I look at uh, someone like Jack Sinclair and he is just, he's fun to watch, isn't he? He's really, really fun to watch. He provides some great dash. He's got a few good steps to just get out of trouble and, and goes he's got great lateral movement and 
Yeah, it's it's fun to see the number thirty-five running around with the with that stylish mullet. I, I don't know. I just think that, like we've talked about characters lately, and I just think it's uh, it's good to see character in the game, but not only character guys, characters who can actually play. It's it's pretty good. Uh, Jack Steele was Jack Steele. You know, he's always going to be Jack Steele. <laughs> yeah, just an absolute warrior. But uh, yeah, I'm just I'm keen to see how the Saints are going to go. And uh, I think they can bounce back. I think they're sitting very well. There is absolutely no shame losing to a team like Melbourne at the best of times. They might have got caught a bit at uh, the start uh, when they got jumped by the Ds. Next week they have the Cats at Docklands. That's going to be a belter. 4.30pm on a Saturday. Oh, jeez. That'll be, be a really good game. Hopefully a big crowd for that one too. Yeah, oh, look, the Saints should really fancy their chances on their home deck there. Uh, look, the Cats are doing well too, but uh, I don't see why the Saints can't start favourites in that game. Did Hawthorne come up with the secret sauce for how to beat Melbourne last week? And why am I asking this question this week after... Melbourne just took care of St Kilda. Well, the reason I'm asking this is I think that there's a slight chance that Brett Ratton was emailed the answers to the exam and accidentally filed it under trash. I don't know. But the fact is that Hawthorne have come the closest to beating the Demons this year with tactics that did work at nullifying Melbourne's strengths. And I am looking at the Ed Langdon matchup with Finn McGuinness. I did briefly touch on this before, but I, I wanted to circle back to it because I think it's important. McGuinness held Langdon to nine possessions that day and the Saints had every opportunity to employ a similar tactic, but they didn't. They went with their, their regular setup. They didn't want to uh, sacrifice anyone from their system, which is fair enough. Um... But at the end of the day, Ed Langdon had 39 possessions and was everywhere. He just patrolled that wing. He was usually there at the start of the play in defensive 50, and he was there as the play built up to the attacking 50. He was pretty much getting through unmarked with a free run at it. I know there's a lot of coaches that are reluctant to put on tags at the moment, and look, I totally get that. There's a lot of systems that uh, rely on on the personnel involved doing what they do. But there does have to come a time when you realise that this guy is just running rampant and cutting you to ribbons. Um, yeah, look, so I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see what teams in the next few weeks do as they approach Melbourne. Uh, but, yeah, is this, I guess, one facet of the blueprint in how to beat Melbourne? We don't know. But, yeah, very interested to see what happens with other teams. That is all we have time for on Footy Time this week. Thanks for your company. There were a couple of, uh, of uh, email questions and, uh, and uh, fan feedback. Uh, there's one from Matt, which we'll have to leave to next week, just because I think it's a fantastic question and I want to take the time to get the best possible answer for this because it's regarding the best three key forwards of the last decade and what makes Jack Revolt superior to all of them. Uh, 
yeah, I'd really, really like to get stuck into that one properly. So if you don't mind, Matt, we'll leave that one for next week. Uh, yeah, in the meantime, I do want to just finish off by giving a shout-out to Dustin Martin. Uh, a lot happens in footy over a, a six- to 12-month period, and it is kind of easy to not forget, but just let it slip what this guy's gone through in the last 12 months uh, with the the passing of his father, uh, the lacerated kidney, which was horrific, and, uh, yeah, his personal leave early in this season um, just to get his himself in the right space again. Uh, it was a great day on Saturday to see Dusty back on the field. 23 possessions, two goals. He's going to make a big difference to Richmond's chances this year. And I think the Tigers managed his situation perfectly, I must say, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. So, yeah, good on you, Dusty. You're a legend, and it's great to see you back. So, yeah, we'll catch you next week. If you've got any feedback, remember to send in to footytime22 at gmail.com. Send us any questions. There are no silly questions on Footy Time. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I hope you all took the time to make your mum feel special. Enjoy your week. We'll be back next week with more footy time. Bye for now.